272 of the Survival Podcast. I got a lot on the docket for you guys today. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that we're entering the end of a cycle, but this is not something that's a new subject for you guys if you've listened for any length of time. I would say at least as early as 2014, probably earlier. And from that point forward, I made this statement many, many times in the 2000 teens. The decade between 2020 and 2030 will be the greatest decade of flux that any living human being has ever seen. In fact, I compared it to the flux that existed between 1850 and 1920. And if you had taken a person in that 70-year period and you had brought them from 1850 right to 1920, they really would not have been able to grasp what they were looking at. Even the 50 years between 1850 and 1900 was a shift so massive that people that that lived through it could barely comprehend what they were looking back at in their later years in life if they made it that long. And so what we're talking about is a decade of flux that, by the way, we're a little bit behind on. People think that the COVID thing advanced it. We'll talk today about how that's not actually true, that in some ways it actually impeded the advancement of this decade of flux because the flux I'm talking about is horrible and then not horrible at the same time. Some of it just techno flux and advancement and things like that. We actually have had some of that pushed back on. So that means we need, don't need, but for this to be true, and it will be, we now have to have most of the flux in a seven-year period between now and the end of the decade. So we're looking at like a 50-year flux condensed into 10 years and further condensed into seven. It's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. And like I said last week when we talked about this, none of you asked to be born in a time where you would be in the middle of it. And we have enough variation in the demographic in our audience. We have people who are very young who will live their life through this entire period. People who are older, such as myself, we may not see the end of, of this period of flux. Uh, I hope I'll make the decade. But I mean, it, just because that will be the, the decade you can look at and say well, this is when the most happened doesn't mean it will be over. This is a multi-decade process that will take longer and happen faster at the same time than people really, I think, can take in today. There's also a tremendous amount of division that's being pushed in our world. We'll talk a little bit today about how coffee's racist and how it shows the flaws of logic in the in the left and the, uh, the, the entire segment of, of society, but also a little bit how it's actually – being used is ridiculous it is to continue to drive further wedges to divide society i believe to destroy western culture is the actual goal because i can't think of another reason for all the crazy shit that's been going on um we're going to talk about the banks some more the big fish are eating the middle fish and the middle fish are eating the little fish it is all happening as i've foreseen it and don't worry everything's fine but it's not fine because well we'll get to that today too um, I've been challenged on my claim that individual banks print money. No, Jack, only the Federal Reserve prints money, not the individual banks. It doesn't work that way. The Federal Reserve prints money and gives it to them, and then they loan it to you. That's how it works. No, it's not. Your local bank prints money. All the banks that do uh, mortgages and other debt print money when they issue the debt. And I'm going to show you in black and white 
in a document provided by the Federal Reserve of St. Louis called Modern Money Mechanics, exactly where it says just that. And I think it's important to understand that and what the implications of this is. Um, now we also have courts not accepting jury candidates because they don't have a COVID vax. Why do you think they would do that? Some of you are going to snap right to that, right to that. Um, Amazon just laid off another 9,000 employees. Don't worry about it. Nothing to see here. Move along. There are no tanks in Baghdad. Little Baghdad Bob reach back there, right? There are no tanks in Baghdad. Yeah. 9,000 employees laid off from Amazon. Don't worry about it. No big deal. And then I, I've been challenged a lot lately as I've challenged the U.S. freaking empire all over the world, trying to tell everybody how to live instigating a potential World War III with Russia. And that, well, Jack, somebody, somebody has to be in charge of the world. If we don't do it, it'll create a vacuum. God, you sound just as dumb as people restating the domino theory that got us involved in Vietnam. But, okay, if that was the case, if somebody really needs to be the leader in the world and tell other people what to do and how to do it and decide who goes where and who does what, what is our track record since 1950 forward say about our qualifications to be that person or that entity? Let's have a serious discussion about that today. And then I'm going to tell you just a little bit about why I keep harping on you about some level of homesteading and home ownership, property ownership, real estate from a totally different angle. You know, last week I mentioned uh, when I read the post that I wrote about the true way to create wealth assurance that everybody should at least once a year read or listen to The Richest Man in Babylon. Believe it or not, Jack Spirico does take his own advice. And I thought, you know what, Jack? It's 2023. Your first quarter's almost over. You haven't done it yet. So when you're working, pull it up on YouTube and listen to it. Something caught my ear today. It's a very brief passage in the book. I'm not going to read it to you, but I will tell you about it. I will tell you about it. And even in The Richest Man in Babylon, it is advised that you own your own home and that you make it productive. That work is from the 1920s, and it tells the tale of ancient Babylon. And so from time immemorial, we have known that this is a valuable way to help preserve your freedom, your liberty, and your wealth, to be able to produce some of your own food because you got to eat every day. And then I'm going to finish up with what you guys came for. Instead of tricking you this time and inverting it, right, like we're going to actually go through, we're going to stick on point all day, some 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 freaking fire and brimstone. And then with how the shift is coming, it'll be faster than you think. And take longer than you think at the same time. And why neither one of those things is comforting. The only comfort is going to be from your actions. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. I want to start off with Paul Wheaton. His Kickstarter is live. It has 5 x its goal. 5 x its goal in less than a week. And the stretch goals are the stretch goals are starting to come in. And the value is starting to be stacked on for people that are backing the project. But if you haven't heard about this project yet, let's let Paul Wheaton, the Big Yeti himself, tell you all about it. I'm Paul Wheaton, and this is my 13th Kickstarter. Because I'm keen on low-tech stuff, I've hosted a permaculture technology jamboree for several years now. Usually about a dozen instructors leading a bunch of builds showing off their expertise. One fella felt you needed to see this stuff. So he took a bunch of video with the idea that we might make a movie. 
Paul was like, hey, you want to come out to the PTJ and teach mushroom insulation? Yes, of course I want to do that. Developing communities centered around food, food preservation, food sharing. I want to see if there can be a low smoke, low fuel wood kiln. A lot of the way that the infrastructure of civilization is put together is highly destructive. You can't do that forever. We need more people who feel confident in their ability to build something out of nothing. So it outperforms the conventional standard materials, completely fire resistant. Do you want me to show you the propane thing? This is Pepper the goat. If you get to really be with them, then you see how easy it is. I have hoogles at my property that we have not watered in five years. We have all kinds of things growing how to fell a tree, size the tree properly, how to lay out a saddle notch and cut a saddle notch. He started with a system that worked up to providing like 400 gallons of really beautiful water every day. Sourdough granola, the lime pickled eggs, strawberry rhubarb jam, garlic dill pickles, a kombucha, escabeche, kimchi. The rocket heaters have set aside for me a major impediment to happiness. It had to be possible. And it totally is. We've already, in the first firing, done things that are almost impossible in a wood-fired kiln. Here, everybody's kind of on the same page, and so you can go farther with the conversation. Figuring out how to make the infrastructure of civilization actually regenerative. You get to build things that are beautiful. You get to advance methods, techniques, and schools of thought that make the world a better place, that make the broken things heal a little more. And uh, I think it makes a big difference. Now for the big Kickstarter question. Is there enough interest to pay for the editing? So, guys, if you have not gotten in on this Kickstarter yet, do it. It will be worth the investment. Uh, we're going to talk a lot today about the coming shift in society. And the one thing that you can never have taken from you is your knowledge and your ability to do things. The amount of knowledge crammed into this is insane. And the amount of value that Paul always stacks with stretch goals. And when you're when you're 5x a week and your stretch goals are going to get kind of insane. Take this opportunity. It might be the best one ever. Next up, our other sponsor of the day is uh, John Pugliano with the Wealth Studying Podcast, where you can learn to grow your wealth like a garden. That is a true strategy that you need to be taking right now is growing your wealth. What happens is when most people get into this mindset that really a shitstorm is coming, and it is, what they think is, oh, I need to protect my wealth, save my wealth, and then we grab on it really tight, and then we end up, instead of taking the opportunity for growth and to increase our wealth, we actually end up picking away at it, and we lose one of the greatest opportunities. The opportunities that come in the time of flux are huge. You should be listening to John's Wealth Studying Podcast to learn more about just that. With that, let's go ahead and get into things today. I want to pull up right now for you guys. Um, get the wrong window open, but that's okay. We'll switch it in just a second. That's the uh, coffee article. I want to talk to you guys about the Twitter polls uh, from last week. I think these were some interesting ones, and we'll just go through them pretty quick here. I said, what describes your garden plans for 2023? Bigger than last year, about the same first time. If you're in an apartment, et cetera, but grow indoors, adapt the same question, expand first time, et cetera, right? 49% said it will be bigger than it was last year. 32% said about the same. And I'll tell you what, there's no shame in about the same if what you have is already more than you need. 
or as much as you can deal with. And I think there's a lot of people that have been doing it long enough to get there. 6.7% it will be their first garden ever. Good for you. And it, it set your expectations low and then exceed them. And every year it'll get better. And I have no garden, 11%. And there's no shame in not having a garden either. But I think it is a good idea. And you'll hear more on that today to have some means of either production of food or a connection to local food with some of the stuff that's going to be going on. Then just to see what people are thinking, who do you think will win the 2024 election? We're way out on this, aren't we? But I took the top uh, contenders. And these are the top four contenders. Joe Brandon Biden, an unnamed Democrat, Ron DeSantis, and Donald Orangeman Trump. Those are the, the four number one contenders. I'm sorry. They are, whether you like it or not. Brandon got 9%. 9% say Brandon will stick around for another four years. We have a geriatric near 90-year-old uh, president with advanced Alzheimer's at some point in uh, we're going to have to admit it if that happens. An unnamed Democrat, 27.9%. I would say of the unnamed Democrats right now, the one with the most likelihood of putting up that challenge successfully is your terrible governor in the state of California. Hey, I don't even want to say his name. He doesn't rate his name on my show. Uh, Ron DeSantis got 34%, and Donald the Archman Trump, 28%. I'll tell you what I think on the Republican side, Okay. The likelihood that Donald Trump is the nominee goes up with every single Republican that announces a candidacy for president. I think if you end up with four strong candidates on the Republican side, uh, the odds are very high that the nomination actually ends up in DeSantis's hands at this point. If you end up with a clown car show, and we probably will, then, you know, if Trump has 30 percent of the uh, Republican Party locked up tight and he does, then he ends up outlasting everybody through attrition like he did in 2015, 2016. So that's that's what I think there. In the presidential election, I have no idea. There's way too much to go on between now and then. Just, just interesting. Uh, how concerned are you that three banks have failed in the past week? By this time, I mean in regard to our general economy, not what you have – uh, not, not that you have your own plan, own BTC, have a bunker, et cetera. How concerned are you for the economy itself with this as kind of a, a bellwether? Everything is fine as the place burns around you. 5% of people say everything's fine. It's bad, but it's going to be okay. 22.9%. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I think there's better answers here. With the polls, I always want people to take the best answer they can from their viewpoint. Uh, Great Recession 2.0 is coming, 51%. I agree. I believe that's the case. Exactly what it will look at, like and how bad it will be and how it will turn out, I don't know. But I believe that. It is the beginning of the end, 20.7%. I actually think three and four can both be true. Um, though I would have to say my personal belief is the beginning of the end was 2008. And then we had a big false recovery. Anybody remember Jack Spirico talking about false recoveries and what happens after the false recovery? Does anybody else remember Jack Spirico saying that recovery equals inflation? I'm pretty sure if you go to the Survival Podcast and search for recovery equals inflation, that you will find a podcast on that very subject from like 2009 or 10. I'll look that up and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll poke at that a little bit later this week. But I think we are um, in Great Recession 2.0, and it is part of a cycle that is 
the end. But remember when I say end, I just mean of the current paradigm. I don't mean that all the bad people will go away or that we will all end up like Mel Gibson and Road Warriors shooting at each other. Uh, next, this was a very interesting question for me. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it after I read you the answer and tell you why it's kind of heartbreaking for me to where I have to side on this at this point. You're asked by a young person right now, should I join the U.S. military? Which answer best describes your response? Vet active means you are serving or served in the past in any branch. Uh, never serve should be self-explanatory. So veterans who are act or active, 19% of the, of the respondents were one of those and said, don't do it. 4% of vet active said, do do it. Now, those aren't actually indicative of the total. You'd have to do the math, and I, I didn't get around to it, but it's just the way it worked out. 19% say don't, and 4% say do um, of the total respondents, and, and that came out to be vets. People who never served that say go for it, 7.5%, about double the amount of veterans. It's interesting. Never served, don't do it, 69.3%. I have to say that over the years I've been asked this many times on the air, and I've never been able to flat out say, do not join the military. I've never been able to look you in the eye and honestly say that because I always have to be honest with you. That has changed. That has changed in recent years. And I actually recently just turned down something that I'm not really going to review today, that it was like a dream bucket list thing for me. A few of you that are personal friends know what that was. But that thing, when I thought about it, as cool as it was, is nothing but a PR campaign for Army recruiting. And I have to answer that as veteran who says not to do it today. And here's why I feel this way. Here's why I feel this way. I watched throughout the last three years the military turn on its own in a way that I can't even begin to describe. The wokeism is bad enough. Taking people who are transgendered and making them extremely high levels of leadership only because of that in spite of incompetence, is bad enough. But more what, what upset me was two things. I talked about this when it was happening. If you're not kind of in the senior NCO level or like, you know, field grade officer, you may not have really experienced this if you're in the military. But there was a great purge before the vaccines, a great purge of our military. And it was done through intimidation and forcing people out without actually doing anything. They called meeting after meeting after meeting with all of these senior personnel, these people, the old guard, the ones that look after the young. And they basically threatened them. Hey, we're going to be going through everybody's social media. And if it's just something as you, you know, publicly supporting Donald Trump, you're probably going to get thrown out of the military. I covered this when it happened and it was done over and over and over and over and over again to the point where there's a gentleman that's a captain in the Navy that lives not far from me that, you know, we know in real life. Uh, he said back then, they're going to throw me out. I might as well resign. So I watched, you know, your E7s, your E8s, good men, basically be intimidated into leaving service as a purge. And then they didn't do anything. They did what these people always do. They used thuggery to push them out of the way. Then I watched a significant number of personal friends who are long-term serving members of the military, one in particular, a lieutenant colonel that had three years left to serve to gain his full retirement, have their service terminated and thrown out because they refused to take an experimental injection that has proven to not work the way that they were told that it would work and not prevent the spread of a disease and had 
17 years, that one individual, 17 years flushed down the toilet. Why would I tell a young person to join the United States military today with a straight face? Why? So that they can be treated that way? So that they can be passed over for promotion because they're normal? So that they can give of themselves for so long to have it all stripped away because they refuse to comply with something that is experimental? No. And there's other problems, too. And at the same time, we're trying to provoke a war with two nuclear powers at the same time. We have completely incompetent people running the country. And we have our fingers into every part of the world using force on people that just want us to leave them the hell alone. Well, there's nothing we don't meddle, meddle in. No, I can't. And do you want me to tell you why it breaks my heart? It breaks my heart for the very reason I was never able to say it up till these last years. Because the God's honest truth is the United States Army saved my life. It gave me a sense of purpose. It got me out of a bad place. I only did it for three years, but it changed forever who I was. It made me a better man. I wasn't always the best soldier, but I was adequate. But I learned from that experience. The truth was, by the time I got to my first long-term permanent duty station, Panama, I was already looking at the Army kind of like I went to jail for a few years, and I was already counting my time down to get out. I did, I, at that point, I already knew I didn't want to stay. But I made the most of it while I was there. I made connections and friends that still benefit me to this day. And I learned what brotherhood was. You know, a lot of people throw that word around, my, like my brother, like my brother, like my brother, right? Have you ever thought about how little that means to somebody whose family life completely sucked and never could rely on or trust their family? Doesn't mean very much. You're kind of a broken person. That was me when I was 17 years old. I lived on my own since I was 16. How broken is that? I learned that you actually could trust other people in the military. I learned that other people would say they had their your back, and they really would. It breaks my heart to have to tell young people that they don't do it. But I don't have it in me to lie. And I can't look a young person in the face today and say that their interest is best served through military service today. Maybe that will change. I hope so. I hope so. And I really hate it. I really hate it. And... Flyover Joe says, same, same thing is happening in the corporate world. But let me tell you why it's different. And this is my final thing on this, and we'll move on, about why I don't think a young person should join the military today. Do you know what happens in the corporate world? If I decide my boss is an asshole and I don't want to work for him anymore, I quit. Do you know what happens if he calls me at 2 o'clock in the morning and wants something for me and I tell him to go screw? He either deals with it, reprimands me, or fires me. Do you know what happens in those two situations when I'm in the Army? I probably end up in Army jail. I can't quit. I can't walk away. I can't leave. When you join the military, you are, and, and make no mistake about this, you are signing away a significant amount of your personal freedom. And there used to be a respect and a reward for it, and they've now shit-canned it. Be mad at me if you want, some of you. I'm sorry. It is what it is. That's true. Now, let's put this cancer up on the screen. And this is going to tie into this giant shift we're in and this giant mess that we're in. Is coffee racist? How drinking coffee per 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 perpetuates white supremacy. And I've seen some of y'all joking, right? 
but what if I drink it black? No, 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 no. That's not what this is about, that we turn the black coffee white. But I'm surprised they didn't throw that in here. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you, not all of it, because if I do, and I assure you, this is not a satire site. And, yes, these people are serious, okay? Like, you're almost going to be, is this the B or, like, some left-wing version of Babylon B? No, 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 no. This is This is legit, you know? It's coffee racist. How drinking coffee perpetuates white supremacy. Created by black people for black people and now a pillar of white supremacist capitalism. If you consume coffee, then you're helping an industry built on racism. If you're a person of color, you know what I'm talking about. You walk into a new coffee shop and your senses are overwhelmed with whiteness. And you get the glare from the Karens. The white hipster barista lines herself up between you and the bathrooms. Ready to tell you your you non-customers aren't welcome. If you have a white coffee drinking friend, he or his friend, he or she may have even let you in on the old coffee joke. Okay, what's the old coffee joke? White coffee drinkers share when people of color aren't around. Quote, there are three things necessary in order to make a cup of coffee. They are first, a black man to roast the coffee, second, a yellow man to grind it, and third, a white man to drink it. End quote. Well, I'm here to validate your lived experience. Coffee is, in fact, horribly racist, and there's data to back it up. I will say that I'm not going to read any more of this because, again, your IQ will literally go down if I read the rest of this tripe. Okay? It is this bad, and it gets worse. And I'll tell you, there is no data to back it up. There is no, after that promise, no data is delivered in the, there's none. Just a bunch of hyperbole bullshit. It reads like somebody asked chat GPT to write the most ridiculous yet somewhat convincing version of coffee being racist angled at people of color. Right? So first of all, that thing I just read you, many parts of it, I am a white dude who's had a lot of cups of coffee with other white people with no people of color around because of where I grew up and some of the places I've lived. Just that's happened. I've never heard that. Anyone here ever hear this joke? There is no joke. All of this, it makes me think there's a very famous gif that's used in social media, and it's Benjamin Sisko from Deep Space Nine, and he says, that's very moving. One small problem. It never happened. None of this ever happened. But the entire point here is that coffee is grown in places where it's, you know, tropical climates, subtropical climates, and mostly it's people of color who labor in the heat of the day to make the coffee available for us here to drink it, and therefore we're living off of their sweat and their tears and their blood. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What would happen if all the white people read that and were, oh, yeah, Welcome to the idiocracy. No more coffee. And we all stop drinking coffee. What would happen to all of the people all over the world who work and own businesses based on coffee in all of these countries, all the people of color that work in the industry, that have ownership stakes at different levels within? What would happen? What would happen to the economy of some incredibly poor countries whose biggest, most reliable exportation market is coffee? Doesn't this sound like a whole bunch of people getting really mad about racial injustice and then going into the cities that are incredibly racially diverse in the Democrat areas 
and then burning down all the minority businesses and saying, yay, we helped, like Ralphie from The Simpsons, I'm helping. Isn't it the same thing? But why? This is freaking stupid, okay? We all know this is stupid. Why would you write something this stupid? Honest to God, if you're capable of writing this, you're not stupid enough to believe your own bullshit when you write it. Why do these things exist? Giant wedge. I've talked about this since day one on this show, all the way back to 2008. They want to destroy the very thing that makes society strong against them. And that is a community of people who get along despite their differences. So what you have to do is you have to drive a wedge between every race, every sex, every class. And when you run out, there's two things you do. You invent new classes, like 72 genders or whatever the hell it is now, right? You invent new classes of people. Or you take the old ones and you get incredibly freaking moronic in the way that you drive the wedge. Trying to, if it doesn't work on one side, maybe the other side will get so irate because some of you are pissed when I said that. Don't get pissed, right? Understand that's part of the wedge. If you can, if they can make you angry at them, they've successfully put that wedge in there. I believe everything, everything that's been done especially in the last three years, has been done with an intention of crippling Western society to the point where it is weak enough to make the final deal in the final phase of this plan, which is to completely take over everything. There are places right now you want to plant a tree in your own front yard. I shit you not to dig a hole in your own front yard to put a tree in. You have to get something called an earth disturbance permit. If you talk to people in government, especially higher levels of government, their stated goal is to make everything done under some sort of license, approval, or permit. Because that way they can quantify and control everything and have control. And they feel that they need control because you are too stupid for them not to have control. They actually believe this. And these are some of the dumbest people on the planet, but they believe they're smarter than you because they have something... It's incredibly addictive once you have it, unless you are a very strong moral being. Power. You know the old saying, power corrupts and absolute power, absolutely. The thing is that actually little small pieces of power create tyrants. They're just tyrants within their little fiefdom. Think of the person at the DMV that basically says, well, you're not getting a license. You're not getting your license renewed today. You pissed me off. So I'm going to come up with some bullshit and send you to the back of the line knowing you won't make it back to the front of the line because I can and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. We have, as soon as people get power, we have tyrants at every level. This is yet another way you create division. This is another way you create division. Now, I'm going to keep going to different things and I want you to keep thinking about how they all come back to this desire to control society and these shifts that cannot be stopped at this point. I said when this all started with the whole COVID thing, it's bigger than the COVID and you can't stop it. You have to figure out how to work with it and around it and through it. If you're trying to stop it, it's like being down in a, in a mill, a grist mill with a bunch of Clydesdales and you're trying to physically stop the stone. You're going to get squished. Like Mr. Miyagi would say, walk right side safe, left side safe, middle, just like grape, right? Squish, just like grape. 
That's what's going to happen. You're going to get scratched a hell of a lot worse than a grape, though. And so the next place I want to go with this is science. My science, my science, my science. Any of you people, any of you people out there listening to this in a live stream right now, have you heard somebody say, I believe in science? I believe in science. How about that? I believe in science. I trust science. Do you know, I want you to ponder this for a second. This is a deeper statement. I don't know who made it. Somebody made this statement on social media this weekend. And I was like, that's actually way deeper than I think even the person that said it meant it to be. There is no need to trust science if it's science. Science doesn't require your trust. Science doesn't require your faith if it's actually science. Science is definitive when it's definitive and indicative when it's indicative, meaning that we can look at certain things and go, this is pretty pretty blunt, true. If I throw you off a roof, you'll hit the ground. Gravity's a thing. Don't know exactly how it works, even though we claim to, but we know it is, and we know that. Splat, squish, just like, like watermelon thrown off building, right? Splat. Yeah, so that's definitive. Indicative means the best we can do at this time is we think this. And this is the most logical thing, and this is how things connect to it, and probably our best course of action based on the indicative nature of what we know at this time. Yeah, but we don't need faith. Why would they start teaching society the exact opposite of what science means by inferring that you require faith in science? And you can see that it was done almost to the point is, but it'll only work if everybody believes it. Also, not how science works. If everybody believes that Jack Spirico is clairvoyant and can read the thoughts of somebody sitting, let's say, in Tokyo, Japan, on the other side of the world, and everybody looking at me, if everybody really believes it, I either can or can't do that shit. Your belief will have no impact on whether, like, Remote telepathy is real. By the way, it's not, and I can't. Your belief won't change science. There is like this metaphysical mumbo-jumbo shit where people are like, it's only because we believe it. Then put a, put, a, put a blindfold on and start walking in a straight line. You come in contact with a wall that you don't know is there. Splat, just like grape against the wall. Science doesn't require belief. Science requires questioning and analysis as to how how indicative it truly is to the point we are questioning. It is an error-detecting process, but if you teach people that faith in science is the thing, then you render actual science meaningless, and you no longer have the error-detecting process to protect society from mysticism. Because that's what government has become. Since we have lost our place in the universe as people of various faiths, and even those that still are, now we all want to fight with each other. Like we've met, like that's something that's time immemorial too. But I would say more so today than ever in some ways. Then I think there is an innate piece of human beings that wants something larger to believe in. And if the person is incapable of seeing the mystery of the cosmos as itself in that light, or taking some middle ground such as myself and being what we would call a deist, if they don't have a faith, then they become subjective to control, and you can substitute something as an item of faith that should not require faith in the first place. And you can actually 
fully make it a religion in that someone that doesn't believe it the way that you do is your enemy. That is indicative of religion, is it not? And what you do is not as important as what you say. I've seen that over the years with me not buying into all this bullshit about global warming and then it's climate change and then it's climate weirding or whatever they come up with next. And I'm not saying human beings don't affect the climate. It's the alarmism that I object to. But my carbon, my, my carbon footprint is lower than all of these people sucking down avocado toast. It doesn't matter. I don't say the right words. Does it matter that I live a much more regenerative lifestyle, growing my own food, teaching regenerative agriculture and permaculture? It doesn't matter that I'm adding to my composting at 5.30 in the morning when I get up and make my coffee before these people even roll their lazy fat asses out of bed because I don't say the right words. Religion. Further division of society. They're dividing us everywhere and anywhere they can. And you aren't going to fix it. I would love to say there's this magical spiritual realm we can all enter or some other shit, some potion or lotion or whatever we could spray on it. Or just if we inform it, it's not going to happen. Society is at a breaking point from this. And the only thing you can do is get out of the way. Right. Us versus them. Right. Is what what Hunter's saying. Us versus them. But it's us versus us. Right. It's us versus us. We spend way more time worried about telling Karen on Twitter she's wrong than we do about fixing our own freaking lives and actually putting the blame on the people that actually did it. We, we look at the people that are stupid enough to believe in any piece of that system and we see them rightfully as a threat, but we don't realize the bigger threat. The bigger threat is them, the people in charge, the oligarchs, but the biggest threat is ourselves and our own inaction, our own procrastination. We need to be doing shit right now because none of this is going to get any better anytime soon. And it ain't going to stop moving forward. Let's get into the banks. Let's get into the banks. I've got several queued up for you on this for you to really begin to understand the full picture of what's going on here. So last week we talked about um, the bank failures, right? And you can see Signature Bank. Everybody talked about Silicon Valley, but Signature Bank also failed. There was three banks that failed last week, right, over last weekend, not the one we just had. And um, here's an example. FDIC sold most of Signature Bank, most of the bank, to a, comp to a bank called Flagstar. And it was because larger banks didn't want it. Too small, too toxic, we don't want it. You can read the article if you want. Just understand that. They had a hard time finding a buyer, even though they were going to give the buyer the money to buy the bank, and the bank was bought at an incredible discount because they didn't want to assume the liabilities of the bank. So basically you got a whole thing of, like, not it, not it. However, Credit Suisse is too big to fail, so UBS agreed to buy it. Again, Agreed to buy it. Now, when you hear agreed to buy it, or when you would think of a car or something like that, you would think that by agreed to buy it, it was my car. I need to get rid of the car. I owe money on the car. I go to you. I ask, and you agree with me, the seller, to buy it. That's not what happened here. What happened here is the central banks basically said, uh, you're going to buy this. We're going to give you money, and you're going to buy this, okay? Yeah, nod your head. Kind of like when Breyer retired from the Supreme Court. He woke up one day and, holy shit, I'm retiring. Yeah, you're retiring. 
Okay, so nod your head. That's right. You're going to go feed ice cream to seagulls the way the president should and isn't. You're retiring so we can replace you while we can while Brandon still has power. You're retired. That's how this happened. I won't get deep into it, but you had a, a large financial institution by another really large financial institution, uh, one that we knew was failing. Then this is the bigger issue that no one's talking about. Central banks move to enhance liquidity. This was published just this morning, but I knew about this over the weekend. And basically, the Federal Reserve and other major central banks announced on Sunday a coordinated effort to improve banks' access to liquidity, hoping to calm worries rattling the global banking sector. Basically, what they're saying is all the money's up for grabs. Like, if one bank needs liquidity, the other banks will push the liquidity into the system. So... If your head's spinning right now and you're trying to figure out exactly what this all means, again, I'll sum it up with the short, short version. The little banks are being bought by the medium-sized banks somewhat reluctantly. And the big banks are using the central bank's money to buy the slightly smaller, but still what we would think of as big banks. Okay? And so bank ownership is being consolidated. Instead of saying, this all failed. Here's your insured deposits. Go find a new bank. They're just taking the depositors and they're moving them from one bank into the umbrella of another bank. And what did we learn last week class about banks and depositors? When you are a depositor to a bank, you are what? The bank's what? For those that were here last week, you are the bank's insurance. The more depositors I have, the more bullshit I can get away with. So by bringing depositors into these folds, so to say, and when we look at something like Credit Suisse, you're looking at high-quality depositors. When you look at some of these other smaller banks, you're looking at low-risk depositors because they're not venture capitalists. You know, Silicon Valley was all VCs, all VCs. 95% of the accounts by number, not dollars, by number. Like, let's say there was a 1,000 accounts. There was a lot more than that. But say there were a 1,000 accounts. 950 of them exceeded the FDIC deposit threshold of a quarter million dollars. I bet you your bank doesn't do that. This was a billionaire's bank run by billionaires for billionaires. Okay? Right? So you have the risky big banks being absorbed by the other big banks that can handle it that are really close. They're the Cantillon effect. They're right next to the money faucet from the Fed. Yeah. And then you have the middle sized banks kind of being like, hey, yo, buy them. Buy them now. But I don't know if we shut up. You want the monies? You buy the bank. You don't want to risk anything. Maybe we tell the people that you're not able to buy the bank because you're not solvent. And then maybe you get sold. You see, that's how it works. Okay, that's what's going on. And you know why these guys don't want to do it? Because they're being set up to be gobbled up by the bigger fish. They're growing the guppy into a mid-sized minnow so the bass can eat it. That's what's going on here. This is that consolidation. It's like a reverse domino effect. Their goal, even if they don't get to what I shared with you last week with uh, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary on Fox saying, we don't need regional banks anymore. We need like four giant banks under regulation. You can still buy the stock in them, understand. Oh, God, that's good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. From the ultimate FTX show. Right. Even if you don't get there, 
they'll settle for like reducing the number of banks by half or two thirds. That's a big win in this consolidation game. And it lets them play their monetary freaking paper mache game a little bit longer. But that's what's going on. That's what they're doing. And I do want to talk about something somebody brought up in the comments last week. Well, Jack, this is one of those rare times when you're wrong, Jack. You said that my local bank, when they give me a mortgage, is printing money. That can't be how it works. Oh, oh dear listeners, have you guys not learned to trust me yet? When I tell you something with that level of conviction, I promise you it's true or I wouldn't be saying it. What I have on the screen for you is the text of a publication. It's quite old, been around a while. It's called Modern Money Mechanics. It was put out by the St. Louis branch of the Federal Reserve, and it was designed to explain exactly how fractional reserve banking works. Okay, now I'm going to read this little block of text for you right now. If you think it's out of context, go read the whole thing for yourself. In fact, I encourage that. It says, if a business is active, the banks with excess revenues probably will have opportunities to loan the $9,000. Of course, they don't really pay out loans from the money they received as deposits. If they did this, no additional money would be created. What they do when they make loans is to accept promissory notes in exchange for credits to the borrower's transaction accounts, loans, assets, and deposits liabilities both rise by $9,000. Reserves are unchanged by the loan transactions, but the deposit credits constitute new additions to the total deposit of the banking system. In other words, Jack is right again, not because Jack's a genius, because Jack read this like, 15 years ago. So you have to understand how precarious this whole house of cards really is. Every bank that issues mortgages and other forms of debt is leveraged into those forms of debt, collateralized only by two things. The ability of the counterparty, you, to pay back the debt, okay? And the underlying asset that debt was assumed for in real estate, that would be the house. But as we figured out back in 2008, for those of you that are old enough to remember that, where you had some skin in the game, when enough real estate goes on the market at the same time, the collateral is shit. It will never cover the spread. So you have the central banks of at least the G7 and spreading into the G20 going, all right, guys, we got to put on a strong front for society. They can't be aware of this, but we got to tell them some of what we're doing to make them less nervous, you know? So what we're going to do is we're all going to share the monies. We're not sure how, but we're going to make sure there's enough liquidity that everybody can cover what they got to cover when they got to cover it. We'll worry about the back end later. Don't worry. The Federal Reserve of the United States will just pump more liquidity in by printing more money. In other words, the Fed is pivoting. And to make that work, they have a, a it's such a horrible problem. If you start reducing rates, you fuel the inflation problem that we've been having. But if you do this without reducing the rates, the banks become more insolvent by taking the free liquidity that's not really free that eventually has to come back. Do you see the problem? The multiple heads of this problem. It's a freaking mess. It's a freaking mess. They did it. 
And they're looking for anybody to blame. That's why there's the peripheral blame of crypto, because Silicon Valley was deeply vested into the crypto space. But crypto did nothing to Silicon Valley Bank. What 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 hurt Silicon Valley Bank, as we talked about, treasury bills they were encouraged to buy because of the change in interest rates and the reduction in the value of the ones they bought before the rates rose and more and toxic mortgage-backed securities. Like we're right back with the mortgage-backed securities. We're right back to 08 like we didn't learn anything. Like recovery always equal to worst prices right from the very beginning, like Jack told you in 2009. This will go away. This will recover. It'll look fantastic. False recovery. And the other side of it is the real pain. Here we sit at the precipice of the real pain. This is where we are. And they did it. And don't think I've listened to some of these clowns. Well, we really believed it was transitory. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You lying pricks. No, you didn't. You knew you were. You're, we're supposed to believe these people with PhDs in economics and finance in the middle of the largest economic pump on the planet that's ever occurred in history. You can't take three of them put together and make what we did. And they were doing it. And they believed that the effect would be transitory. Transitory is a made up freaking word in this space. It doesn't mean anything. There's nothing to hold it to. Well, what would transitory have looked like if you were right? They don't have an answer. Because when you're bullshitting this bad and you know you're bullshitting and you know it's not true and you're just passing the buck for a time and you get to the next phase, you know you're never going to have to answer that question. So you never even think of an illogical answer to, to a reasonable question like, well, what would it have looked like if you were right? What does transitory mean? Does it mean the prices would have gone back down or does it mean the rate of increase would have, would have slowed? Because it's not transitory if we get 30% inflation and it stays, even if the growth slows down. It's not transitory because it's permanent, which is what it is. They knew all this. Okay, they are stupid in some ways, but they're not stupid in these ways. They know what they're doing. You don't have to be that smart to crash the bus into a cliff. Right. You have to be smart to weave the bus in and out of traffic and not hit anybody. You have to be a good driver to do that. Right. But you don't have to be a good driver if the plan is to crash the bus in a cliff. You just have to be good enough at crashing it that it looks like an accident. Right. The insurance fraud business shows there's many people that are good at doing that. And that's what this is. This is not even a controlled crash. This is a fake economic crash into a cliff with a giant bus that is the United or the uh, the world's economic uh, monetary system. You have to ask yourself, why? Why would you do this? Some of it is the hope that we can just kick the can another time. Kick the, but the overriding operational mindset of this. Again, I'm back to the destroying Western culture. They know that they've run this out. Let's be honest, the current economic system, while it had some changes in 64, in 71, eventually in 76, the 71 and 72 changes became completely apparent when the ability to own gold legally was restored. Right. There's some change in there. But we are honestly on the same monetary system established in 1913. So it's over 100 years old. How long did you think it would last? How long did you, like, I mean, even if they actually did their best for everybody, how long would you expect 
Think of 1913 and the technology in the world in 1913. Now we move forward to 2023, 110 years. Did you think that it would basically be the same except now it's on a computer? And it, it would just keep going. It keep going. No? No? Nobody would think that. Look at every single thing we do in society. And the only place that things are basically done the same as we did them over 100 years ago is in places government controls things. How do we get around as far as transportation? It's dramatically different. How do we communicate with each other? It's dramatically different. How do we take a shower? It's dramatically different. Even how do we farm is dramatically different. Some good, some bad, but everything's dramatically different. It's called advancement. It's called progression. So-called progressives are anything but progressive, right? Progressive is just a way to make communism sound nicer. That's all that it is. So why would you, don't you think they know that they can't keep operating under this? The current payments networks were built in the 60s. They're the boomer legacy payment networks. Most of the guys that built the payment networks we're still using today are dead. Did you think it would be going on? Did you think this would last forever? No. So since it has to end, and they want it to end in a way that gives them more control and more wealth absorption ability, they have to end it in crisis. They can't end it without crisis. You understand that? Let's say that they came to us and they said, everything's working pretty good. But we need to make these changes because it won't stay good if we let's say they were benevolent and they had done the best job that they could. But they could see it coming to an end and they say, hey, we need a new way to handle global payments. We need a new monetary system. We need a new way that economies interact with each other because we just haven't advanced that much since 1913. And I think most people would say at first, remember, we're talking about they'd actually done a pretty decent job here. Well, maybe we, okay, let's have that conversation. If it became immediately apparent that when they made the change, a massive, more amount of value of your money would be gone, and you'd have less control of how you spend your money and what you do with your money, you might say, I, I, I don't really think we should do this. What we have may not be perfect, but it's pretty good. But if you put people into a crisis, wasn't it like full-on small government conservative Republicans during the COVID going, we need stimulus checks. Yes, yeah, send me my stimulus check. I'm going to buy a bass boat or whatever, right? People that would have opposed it if we had just come out and said, we think the United States economy is a kick in the ass. We're going to send everybody a check for five grand. Everybody gets it. Every adult taxpayer gets five grand. Married couples get 7,500 bucks. These people, in spite of the fact they were getting the money, would have said, whoa, 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 Tex. I don't, I don't want to do that. But how many of them in a crisis mode? Every, there's real-time death running on the screen. The whole economy's collapsing. Look at the stock market. The orange man might not get reelected. Oh, my God. Send it. Send it. Because there was crisis, people were willing to take a deal that was a bad deal in the end, long-term, for everybody because there was a crisis. This has to end in a crisis. And it has to end in a series of crises where little incremental advancements to their agenda happen at each piece of the crisis. Because if you haven't noticed, they don't do things all at once. 
And even though that's the case, it doesn't mean that they'll pull it off. It doesn't mean it'll work. And it doesn't mean the entire thing might shit the bed before they're ready for it. And it'll hurt even more. So you have to be ready. Oh, that was great. But the Baroons, if you haven't seen it, you're going to have to look it up for yourself. But I shared that on Twitter over the weekend. Maybe I'll reshare that this week. If you follow me on social media, you'll see it. I'll even put it on the, like, uh, MeWe and Gab, the Baroons. Uh, that, that is one of the funniest pieces of comedy I've ever seen, but we're not going to dig into that right now. But well played in uh, bringing it up. So on top of all this, here's another email I got this last week that might not seem like it's related, but it is. All of it's related at this point. This guy said that his wife was summoned to jury duty, I think is what, it, what he or his wife. And when they went in, and this is a, a district court, this isn't like a small town court or something like that, a major uh, you know, criminal district court. They were asked when they showed up for jury duty if they had the clot shot. And when people said, no, I am unvaccinated, they were told to take a hike. You're not allowed on a jury. Now, wait a minute. I can go in the court. This is not about I don't care if you're a COVID care. OK. And you believe the, the, the true, you know, the, the, the mainstream narrative from the beginning that you're still back in 2020 June. I don't care if you're that. The reality is I don't have to worry about any of this shit to go to court today and do business. I can go to that court. I can be a lawyer presenting an argument, prosecutor or defense attorney in that court. I don't have to have this. The judge doesn't have to have this to defend it. Nobody has to do this. And the, technically, the jury doesn't either. They're just telling you we are releasing you. There's no official policy. We're just releasing you. Okay, I'm going to throw a term out. And I want you to see if it makes you make the connection. Jury nullification. Okay, if you've never heard of jury nullification, that means that a juror has a moral responsibility and certainly a right to vote not guilty in a criminal trial if they do not believe that a crime was committed, even if it's technically against the law. It is the final check on our system of uh, justice. That if you can't get a, a jury to say this is a crime, then that law will not stand long term. Something will have to be done about it. Victimless crimes. This is a big part of what led to the eventual repeal of the prohibition of alcohol in the United States, because it didn't matter because they weren't getting convictions because people would get convicted of possessing alcohol. They would request a trial of a jury of their peers, especially in lo local prosecution. The jury would show up and they were all boozing at the speakeasy with the guy that got busted last week. So they all voted not guilty. A shitload of that happened. OK, what do I know? What do I know? As a Department of Justice, the whole thing, prosecutor, defender, judge, everybody, if I say everybody that's got the clock shot in your boosters, put your hand up, you go, it's me, I get it. I got rule followers. I have rule followers. I have obeyers. I have automatons, right? And it's not necessarily that I do. But when I have somebody that endured the three years of bullshit pressure, the threats to their career, their job, their personal safety, the psyop of psyops that says, not me, didn't do it. 
Uh oh. Went, went, went. Independent thought alarm. Went, went, went. That's what I have. I don't want an independent thinking individual on a jury. I want compliance. I want somebody like the brainless tart that was talking about how excited she was to indict Donald Trump. Right? Like, that's what I want. I want rule-following automaton idiots that will do exactly what the judge tells them to. Judge, only the facts of the case. We will tell you what's legal and illegal. You will not think for yourself. Right? And then they are subject to the advice of the court. So what are you doing? You're removing a check of power. Not even a very good one, by the way. Jury nullification has not worked well. New Hampshire finally passed a law that said you can use it in your defense. You can actually go into court now and say, hey, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I don't believe what I did harmed anybody. Yeah, I did it, but I didn't harm anybody. How did this hurt anybody? Vote not guilty. Vote your conscience. It's not yet successfully been used since it was made legal to do, even out in the open. And that is because we have dumbed down the population. But if there's any hope, this is another way, not to guarantee, but to further filter a check on the Justice Department, especially when you're like, you know, trying people for walking around the Capitol building or something that have uh, been held without due process for months and months at a time in a federal prison. And they say that there's video of these people walking around burning stuff down and all. And you say, well, can we see it? No, no, you can't see it. But it happened. Trust us. Right. Like, don't you think that the person that independently thinks like, I, I, I'm just I'm just not sure about this. But what if you want to start prosecuting more and more people for crimes like this? There's a dude being prosecuted right now for sharing a meme. I shit you not in 2016. There's a little more to it than that, but not much. And that is the action that he's being prosecuted in federal court for. Well, we can't have independently thinking individuals involved with making those decisions. This is part of the whole thing. The destruction of Western society and Western culture. Do you think they really believe that it's in your five-year-old's best interest to be talked to about having his testicles removed? Do you really think they're doing it for the kid, or do you think that the larger plan leads to the ends justify the means in the minds of these people that want their ends? Which one do you think it is? Which one's more likely? Remember always Occam's razor. Occam's razor is the, the most simple solution is usually the right one. I just watched this documentary. I forgot all about this. Remember the uh, the plane that was flying from uh, Australia uh, to China, and it crashed and it disappeared, and they never found it. And they supposedly found a piece of a wing on it, but the aircraft identity plate was removed from the wing that they found like a year and a half, two years later, right? And there's all these things, and it was like this plane turned around, and it went back, and it flew directly over a military base that never saw it. And then it turned to the south, and it just flew forever until it ran out of gas and, and, and crashed into the South Indian Ocean. And all of the explanations for why and how that happened made no sense in this documentary. I think it's on Netflix, if I remember right. And the last scenario that is presented is they know that a whole shitload, like metric shit tons of equipment, showed up and was put on the plane. It was escorted to the plane and put on the plane. Plane's going to China. It was electronic equipment. And it was a massive amount of electronic equipment, and it was never inspected. 
right? It was put on the plane with no inspection. They brought it in. They loaded it on the plane right before it took off. The plane took off. And the theory is that there were AWACS active in the area, and that one way or another, the U.S. put that plane down in, in, in the sea south of Vietnam and then created this entire nonsensical idea that this, like, he wanted to, like, the first thing was the pilot was going to commit suicide. You want to commit suicide and you're a pilot? Mm, done. Right? Done. Why would you, like, set flight path out to the middle of nowhere? Till you, like, it doesn't make any sense. They came up with all of these theories about how Russia could have done it. It sounds like a Tom Clancy. It's all stupid. But when they said the last one, which they made to be the least plausible one, you're like, well, that's the simplest one. That doesn't mean it's true. That doesn't mean it's true. But it means it's the most likely one. That they told this guy to land or whatever or to turn around and he didn't obey. And whatever they were taking to China, that it was considered, oh, sorry. That's the same here. The explanation that is the most simple is the most likely. You have to look at the lunacy around you, friends and neighbors, right? You have to look at this lunacy around you and believe it is all a natural consequence. And just a whole bunch of shit that went wrong all at the same time with no overriding agenda and goal as though that makes it. You have to believe that we actually have to defend parents who don't want to take their children to strip clubs. And we have to defend them only because the strip club is dudes dressed like women instead of women dressed like women. And that we have, you have to believe that that is not related to all the rest of this. You have to buy into that. You have to have faith in science. And you have to believe in science instead of interpret science for that to, to be the case, right? You have to have a faith that what they tell you is the truth. And you have to trust the people who you know have lied to you over and over and over again to believe that this is all, it, the, the banking thing, it's just all taken care of. We got it. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And by the way, we're not, we're not screwing it up on purpose to our own benefit, even though we screw up everything to our own benefit. We're not trying to enslave you. Just control how, where, and when you're allowed to spend your money. That's all. It's good for the planet. You know, I know that we told you in the 70s and 80s we were going into an ice age. And I know we totally got that wrong. But you can trust us now. You got a, a, a teacher this last week caught on video telling a child that he, the child needed to eat bugs like everybody else in the world does because growing cows is going to destroy the planet. And you have to believe that's not related to all these other things. I, I I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you there, guys. If you buy into that, I, I, I just don't know what to say. I have no idea. And that, that banner's up because somebody's asking how to boost me. There's lots of ways to do it. We'll talk about that toward the end, I guess. I want to keep rolling with this. So here's another one. I don't have the article uh, pulled up, but you don't really need to see a screenshot of the article if you're in the chat. Amazon just announced they're laying off another 9,000 employees. This is after tens of thousands of layoffs already. 9,000 employees, the largest online retailer on the planet, is laying off another 9,000 people. I can tell you that I can see a certain amount of pulse 
on the Amazon business model as an affiliate that does a lot of sales for Amazon. I sell a lot through T-SPAS and my product reviews and things like that, quite a bit. This is what I noticed this year. I didn't have a bad November and December, but I had a November and December that looked an awful lot like September and October. What does that mean? I didn't get a Christmas bump this year. I didn't sell more as an Amazon affiliate in Christmas than I sold in not Christmas. It was just not there. People are retracting their spending. And it might have been a little bump. You know, maybe it was a 5% bump month over month. You know, September was, you know, in October were 5% less than November and December on aggregate. But that's not typical. You know what typical has been? Like a 40 to 60% bump for Christmas over average months. People are retracting spending. And, and that's just the way that it is. And it's because people aren't as dumb as they think that we are. People realize what's going on, whether they want, you know, whether you want to believe it or not. And even the idiots that are out there that are parroting some of the stupid shit, like coffee's racist. Right. Or it's OK in the name of racial justice to burn down minority owned businesses in cities that are largely populated by minorities. Burn their houses down and destroy the street. Like these, even those people are not as stupid as you think they are. They do. There is a certain collective intelligence that's higher than the average individual. Right. Like if the average IQ, do anybody know what the average IQ in America is? It's sub 100. It's 98. It's 98. So let's say the average person is a 98. The collective intelligence is still about a buck 10. Because things compensate for each other. And I do believe in something else we call a collective consciousness. But people are pulling back. But yet there's the stupid. And the stupid is encouraged. And the stupid is often the greatest from people who most perceive themselves to be intelligent. Dunning-Kruger is at an all-time high. So this was the thing that I got from somebody this weekend when I was pointing out the absolute lunacy of a claim about Ukraine. So the claim that's gone around quite a few times recently about Ukraine is you, Jason, thank you for the $50 super chat. Thank you. That's a huge boost, bro. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. Um, huge. Thank you. Um, but when I brought this up, well, Jack, I understand what you're saying. Well, oh, let's go back. I got, I got sidetracked there by that. Um, I said the claim that's gone around is that the, the Ukrainians have destroyed 60% of Russian military capability, 60%. And all I said was, if that's true, then why do we need to keep sending hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine? Why do we need to, like, if they've actually taken out 60% of Russia's military capability, and I got, like, autistic-level streaking and all kinds of stuff, right? And... So then I did another post about it, and I said, what do you think happened? I gave It was a joke. I gave, like, four responses I got. And this one person came in, and I know this person means well. And they said, but, Jack, you know, I know what you're saying. I get it. I'm sure there's corruption in Ukraine. I'm sure there is some, you know, Nazism in Ukraine. And, guys, there's a series of articles I'm going to put out later this week. you got to read if you want to know how bad the Nazi problem is in Ukraine. It's way worse than anybody, even the people telling you it's bad, are telling you. And our media told you that before this whole the new memo went out, right? But this guy said, you know, 
what and this I can tell this guy lives with certain amount of mainstream conservative talk radio in his ears because this is a total conservative neocon talking point. Even the people that say neocon is a bad word, but they actually are neocons themselves. They're like chameleons there, you know. They they say this same shit. Somebody has to be the leader in the world. Somebody has to exert economic and military influence on the whole planet. Someone has to do that. There's just no place for true racial autonomy. He didn't say it that way, but it's the case you're making when you say this. Somebody has to tell Italy what to do, the Middle East what to do. Somebody has to tell the Russians what to do, you know. And if we don't do it, then it leaves a vacuum, and then China and Russia are going to do it. Okay. And we need to do So, first of all, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe the world needs a giant police officer to tell the world. I believe that we can let different countries and different regions do their own shit if they leave us alone. And I believe we can handle bad actors mostly by saying, oh, we won't do it, though, because it doesn't benefit us because we'd already cut China off long ago. It was true. Oh, you want to you want to commit those human rights abuses and shit like that? Yeah, we're not going to do a lot of business with you. When you start treating people like humans again, let us know. We'll do business with you. Like that would be the easiest thing to do. I'm not talking about sanctions. I'm just like, you know, you know, we're not going to really do business with you. We're not going to go out of our way to create treaties and and trade agreements and stuff like that because you're scum. You know, you know, Saudi Arabia, sorry about your oil and all, guys, but as long as you're throwing gay people off buildings while we're claiming to care about gay rights, not buying your oil. Like we can affect way more change with that. No sanctions, just we're not do- we're not buying from you. We'll produce our own stuff. We're not going to make. We're not going to vest ourselves in your country if you're committing these atrocities. And that's all we need to do. Would it be perfect? No, it would be better than what we have. So I don't believe that. But assuming you're right, somebody has to be in charge. What leg do we stand on claiming we're the best person for the job? Why? Because we're the good guys? We, I think we've, we've covered enough times where we're not the good guys in history. Where we can't just say we're the good guys. Well, we're not as bad, right? But are we confident? I'd like to know since World War II, so 1954, what, what is our what is our track record for making the world a better place through the use of the United States military, the implied threat of U.S. military, and soft power through leveraging our money to buy off things? So let's think about a couple of things we tried to do. Korea. So in Korea, the North did invade the South. That did happen. We did immediately push the North Koreans back into North Korea. At that point, we could have maybe hit them a little bit harder, backed back off and said, hey, cut the shit. Instead, we killed like 25% of the population of North Korea, drew the Chinese into the war for three years, and it took Truman threatening to nuke shit to end the conflict and right back where we were two weeks into it. I'm going to say we screwed that up, okay? Yeah? Okay, Vietnam, the French, can't make it work. Screw it up for 100 years of their colonialism. It has no meaningful impact on U.S. lives. We insert ourselves, take the French's place, and they run their ass home, something French are good at, retreating, right? And they're like, good luck, good Americans. We left good food behind. That's it, right? You know, we're out. Took that over. 58,000 American lives, hundreds of thousands of maimed and post-traumatic stress veterans came home, got spit on and shit on, and we lost the war. Gotta say we messed that one up, too. Yeah? Iran, before the U.S., 
put the Shah in power was a modern society. Women walked around in regular clothing. If you look at pictures of Iran prior to the Shah, it was a modern country. Now they're in burqas. Maybe we shouldn't have touched that. How about Libya? Under Gaddafi, as bad as it might have been, a married couple, when you got married, you got a house and a dowry from the government. It was the most stable economy in Northern Africa. Totally screwed up now. We came, we saw he died in the words of Hillary Clinton. I'm going to say we messed that up. Afghanistan, almost two decades. We lost to a bunch of goat humpers and we left them armed to the teeth with U.S. military power. Iraq is a complete disaster that we created. There's more, there's more risk of terrorism coming out of Iran. The whole Middle East is a cataclysm of shit. And we touched every piece of it and made it worse. We haven't done anything right since World War II. Anywhere that we've touched is worse for us having touched it. We gave away the Panama Canal to the Chinese. That's probably the smartest thing we did. The Chinese have figured out, you know, we don't really benefit by running this. Like Panama benefits more than us. Let's see. They get a portion of the revenue. We maintain everything. And they don't do nothing. Huh. Why do we want to do this again? Oh, yeah, to control trade routes and all, but we really still don't. Uh, we can't just close the canal. We don't really have the ability to do that. And there's all these other ways of moving shit now that it, it why do we do this? Yeah, regret, buyer's remorse, right? What have we done? What did we, Flyover Joe says we trained and armed the Taliban to fight Russia. Yeah, we did that in the 80s when Osama bin Laden was on the CIA's payroll. That is not a conspiracy. What have we done? What have we done? that has made the world better through our actions as the police force of the, of the world. We killed over a million Iraqis, a million, mostly civilians, a million. That's, that's both of the wars combined. I don't feel good about that. Maybe we should stop touching things when we mess things up. Like, if you had a mechanic, and every time you took your car to the mechanic, it got worse. When you get a new mechanic, we're a bad mechanic that can't admit that we're a bad mechanic. And we have so much power. And all they want to do is maintain the power. That's what all this is about. Now, you know that I always talk a little bit when I do shows like this about homesteading, growing your own food, um, making your homestead productive in some meaning, whether it is income or material or something, a home-based business, realizing that there's land in your backyard, do something with it. If you have a little piece of land, you know, a significant piece, maybe put in a couple tiny houses, rent them out like on Vibro or something or hip camp or whatever, like turn it into something productive. Well, like I said, I do take my own advice. I know some people probably think all that guy does is run his mouth. He just tells everybody what they should be doing. I bet you he's the guy saying that, you need smoke detectors while this house is on fire. I actually, the shit that I advise, I do. Especially the stuff in the backyard. And you should have seen enough videos over 15 years of me doing it to know that I talk most about the things I actually do. Like growing your own food and what have you. Well, one of the things I said last week is everybody should listen to or read Richest Man in Babylon. 
You know what? And I wrote that before I read it on the air. You know what I did immediately after I published that 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 post? I looked it up on YouTube and I hit play while I got the show together ready to go for Thursday. I immediately started listening to it. And I've been listening to it now whenever I have time, whenever I'm doing work that I can listen and actually take the information in. If I start losing it, I hit pause and and then just put some music on or something. And I got through the first disc, like two hours in, and the beginning of the second disc, because the, the audio that's on YouTube literally says first disc over, you know, or so second disc, right? And it's right at the beginning of where it does that. That, it, that, that one of the characters is talking to the others in it. And he's saying, so many of you work so hard. This is my version, not the one written in like Babylonese, right? right? Like you work so hard and you pay your landlord. And yet you don't even have a place for your for your children to play in the yard. Or for your wife to grow beautiful flowers that lift her soul. And, and there are many people out there that if you have income and you're able to pay your rent, would gladly rent you money. Instead of lend, they say rent money in the story. And you could buy a house. And you could buy a house with at least a piece of land with it. And your children could play. And your wives would not just be growing flowers, but good herbs to feed you. And that men delight in eating the figs that grow on their own trees. This book, which is more than 100 years old now, okay, that is about mostly the technical aspects of how to win with money. A portion of what I earn is mine to keep. Put away at least 10% of your income every time, all the time. When the money comes in, you instantly pay yourself, and then that money is locked up. That's the crux of things. And then do things with the money so that the money becomes your slave and produces more slaves. You build a giant family of self-replicating money. It's a very technical book. In this book... The author literally pauses to make this point that the ownership of land is true wealth. You might recognize that from my 12 tenets of modern survival philosophy and that that only really becomes true when you treat your land like your money. The money must go to work for you. It must produce for you. And so as we shift here to like my final message today, I'm not going to talk a lot about it. I know that, you know, when we have a huge live audience to a show like this, you came for the fire and brimstone. Fine, we'll stick there. I won't use it to trick you into half the show being about gardening and how to cook and how to, you know, do the things that you should be doing. You don't really want to hear about some of you anyway. But I'll at least note it that even in this book by Clausen, it was noted. It was important enough that in this giant thesis, it was dropped in. And again, this was the 1920s. This book was written. And Tiny Giant Lifestyle says, that's why BlackRock buys all the land so we own nothing. Yes, land and a place to live. Real estate should be a core component to your wealth assurance program. And it needs to be. It needs to be. And, you know, if you're 21, you're like, shit, I don't have it. Okay, you have time. Even with all the shit going sideways, you have time. In fact, what you need to do is use your ability to earn income and live on less to build as much stock call as you can so when everything shits the bed, you're ready to buy. 
Do you have dry powder, so to say? Because here it is. The shift is coming. In fact, the shift has begun. We're here. I don't care if you're ready. I don't care if you're like, I need more time. I don't care if you're like, it doesn't look that bad yet. There's still cars parked in all the store parking lots. It, it doesn't seem, it doesn't matter. It's here. Some of the stuff we talked about today that you, you just have a hard time grasping how it's interrelated. I know my wife struggles with this. She's like, I don't get this when she hears the crazy shit being done in our schools uh, as one example or some of this, this incredibly ridiculous thing. Everything's racist. But everything's racist. Well, that means that what are you doing? You're gaslighting to the point where racist becomes a meaningless word. And the people that are behind this are the racist people. So why wouldn't they want to destroy the meaning of the word racist? So they can be bluntly and openly racist by judging people based on their race solely, but yet say they're doing it for a higher purpose. Of course they would. This is all interrelated and there's a reason you're seeing society look insane and i you know i i challenge anybody that thinks i'm over the top with this to get on a live debate with me and convince me or the people listening to us debate that society has not gone completely insane by and large i don't care that it's 10 or 20 or 30 percent of the population and the rest of the people like no i'm not in on this first of all don't tell me that look at the way elections go I know I say they don't matter, but they are really good for taking the pulse of the country. And it's clear who stands for what. And these people are losing their minds over it. But the bigger thing is, I don't care what the minority is, are they being taken seriously? Are they being given a platform? Are they getting their way? We've always had lunatics. We've always had people make ridiculous claims like this. But you know what usually happened to them? That's nice. Let's get you some pills and back into the asylum. Right. Or at least let's not pay attention to these people. You don't give them platforms. You don't have them into the halls of Congress to lecture people on how bad they are for not agreeing with them. You don't publish newspaper articles about them in a good light. You don't do this shit until you're in a dying society. You're watching this society and the older you are, the harder this will be to accept. You're watching the society and the culture that you grew up in. And all that is good and bad about it die in front of you. And you thought that it would be something you would never outlive. Total aside here for just a second. I heard a song this weekend called Run Maggie Run by Chris Stapleton. It's about dogs. It's about a particular dog that they find in a parking lot and they take her home. Little pup that was abandoned. She becomes a great dog. And of course, we outlive dogs. So in the end, he has to bury the dog and he determines the dogs have souls. It was pretty, it was pretty deep song, man, because Lucy, we took her in off the street just like that. She wasn't in a parking lot, but, and we actually thought about naming her Maggie and I was out working. I literally put everything down, took a break, came in and pet my three dogs when I heard this song. But what it makes me think of and what's going on here is there's this other thing that hit me really hard about dogs in the past. And it was this story, and it says, to dogs, humans are ancient elves. Don't worry, it's going to come back to it really hard. You're going to get it. You're going to get it like you never got it before today, okay? The dogs, look at a human, and it's the ancient elf. 
and the dog is walking with her master and he she says she raised my great 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 grandchildren but now i see her first turning gray her step is slow and a dog realizes it's seeing the death of an ancient one the dog knew that the ancient elf that lives 500 years compared to their lifetime would always be there until they were gone. But it realizes it's seeing one of the ancient elves fall. How does that relate to this? We have such a short attention span and such a ridiculous addiction to a permanent present that we think a lot of what's around us in society is like that ancient elf to that dog. That someday this society will crumble and transform into something different. But for our lives, it might as well be immortal. We're not going to see the United States fall from being the most powerful country in the world in our lifetime. That'll be some other people somewhere else. We're not going to see the current global economic system with the dollar as the reserve currency transform into something totally new in our life expectancy. Even most people who think CBDCs are coming just think it's, well, it's just this with a different way that we account for the dollars. It can't be that we're witnessing the death of an entire system and it's reconstitution and something new. We can't be that special. The ancient elf will outlive us all. Even the ancient elf. Even the mythical being that lives 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years. Even that mythical being has a time when it has run its course. And the rules are everything that lives must die. Everything that lives sooner or later must die. We understand that fairly well with biology. We know that no matter what we do to extend the life of individuals, that if we can push the average life expectancy to, let's say, 120, and a dude that's 100 becomes the dude that's 65 right now if he takes care of himself. So it doesn't suck to live to be 120. And the average, like, okay, that's probably long-term something that we can make happen. We don't expect that humans will live to be 1,000 or 10,000. And we know no matter what it is, there's a limit. Any biology, there's a limit. Some, Some living organisms live only a day or a week or a single season. Or some, like dogs, live somewhere between, you know, 10 and 20 years in our time scale. But everything that is biologically alive must die. It must fall. It must return to the earth. Even an ancient sequoia or redwood that was standing when Christ walked the planet will eventually die. We get that. What we don't understand is that systems are not immune to this. Systems are not immune to this. Whether it is another society that takes over and conquers and absorbs and destroys society. Ghoulie, thank you for the $10 super chat. Whether it's that, or it is just simply the society ran itself out. We know that societies that build themselves on annual agriculture 
always reach a point where they can no longer feed themselves and they begin to collapse. We know that's a thing. We know that every society that becomes great becomes lazy and weak, apathetic, pathetic, and falls. And then we know that many societies that fall from complete control of the world often go on in some new form and just kind of leave everybody alone. I haven't really been bothered by any Romans lately. How about you? Right? The, the Romans have not really bothered me in any way. But they're still in Italy. They're still a Rome. Just what it means to be Roman is a little bit different than what it did during the Roman Empire. Mongolians, right, the Golden Horde, haven't had any Genghis Khan action in the backyard recently. Everything dies. But everything that lived can be recycled and live again. That's what compost is. Guys, I can't put it anymore. Eloquently, as simple as this is going to sound, in redneck duck, a hippie duck far, farmer ease. You're in a compost bin. We're in a compost bin in society right now. The shift has hit the fan. The bin is being tumbled. What lived is dying and will live again. We don't know what seeds will be planted and what particular form the new forest will take, whether it will be an enchanted forest or a haunted one. We don't know. We know the plan is one of complete and total control of society. There's an interesting thing about governments who have sought to completely control societies. Societies sooner or later have always decided, I don't think so, Tex. It's never actually worked. It's never actually worked. It's worked for a time, but it's never worked. You have to get buy-in. And don't think they haven't learned that. That's why they're trying to convince every single class, demographic, and race that everybody else is their enemy. But, you know, that shit only works for so long. It may get them to where they want to start. I have significant doubts that will get them to where they want to finish. I'm not playing along. I'm not doing this. I'm not playing their game. I will continue to take from their system what benefits me. And I will continue to build my own individual wealth outside of their system in a variety of ways. Yes, Bitcoin. Yes, metals. Yes, real estate, though it's actually in their world. Yes, systems of production. Yes, skills and knowledge. Yes, social capital. I have social capital. You people are listening to me. My words matter to you or you wouldn't tune in. I will continue to build that influence. I will continue to build my intellectual capital and the intellectual capital of my larger community because I think it's better for everybody that way. I will continue to work with others, even people that you might think that I wouldn't want to work with. I'll, if they're doing good shit, I'll bring them on the show. I'll let their voice be heard. I've had plenty of people on the show that I disagree with in many ways, but I bring them on to talk about things that we do agree with, things that we can do together. I will continue to teach you what I know, and I will continue to learn by teaching you, and I will continue to learn from you because I have learned as much from this audience as I have taught it. And that is the only way that I know. That's the only way that I know to be. But it's coming. And it will happen 
faster than you think. Things will happen this year, this calendar year, before we ring in 2024. Things will happen that you don't think are ready to happen yet. And things that you're pretty sure are going to happen next week won't happen for years, maybe even until the 30s. Kind of feels weird to say the 30s if you were around in the 80s, doesn't it? Right? But some of the things that we think are just going to happen, like tomorrow they're going to do all this, they're much longer plays. And some of the things we think can't happen yet, the ancient elf is dying. The ancient elf is dying. He's not immortal. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand or kneel? Are you going to obey and comply? When I tell you something like, hey, put some money in Bitcoin. I didn't say your life savings. Are you going to keep making excuses and go, yeah, I bid it, while you tell me how important your guns are that they've been trying to ban for 250 years since, since the Second Amendment was written and they started arguing about what a comma meant? Or are you going to take action? Are you going to build a business? Or are you going to keep listening to me talk about business? And think someday, someday has a real, real habit of becoming never. Wavehead, thank you for the $50 super chat, man. You guys have been generous today. I, I, I hope, I hope this is that valuable to you because I think it can be exceedingly valuable if you take it to heart. We're not done yet, guys. We're not done yet. We have a lot to do. We have a lot to say. I have a lot of my dash to expend. But you know what I said about everybody, everything that lives must die and can live again. Let's transition to to wrapping up here with one way you guys can support me, and that's to do your online shopping at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. What I have for you today is a way to take things that have lived and make them live again by passing them through the gullet of something every living thing sooner or later, your atoms, your pieces, your being has and will pass again through the gullet of a worm. I have wanted to do worms here at Nine Mile Farm since I moved in, and every worm farm I've ever used almost instantly got invaded by ants. This one here has not been invaded by ants in a month, and it's doing really well for me. It's the Urban Worm Bag Composting Bin I have a a write-up on it today. I think it's a fantastic way to compost. Yes, it helps me thwart the fire ants. And when you look at how it's designed, it makes sense that it would. Uh, It's not that it's absolutely impossible for them to get into it, but without making direct ground contact, that alone helps a great deal. Uh, It was a five-minute, it was really a three-minute assembly project. And uh, I have an extensive write-up on it, including a lot of reasons that I think some of the negative reviews, and I have a video explaining that further, including it's very important that you use these brackets that put the frame together the right way. And if you don't, I can see a lot of the problems that are talked about happening. But remember, you can help support this show and the work that we do anytime by doing your online shopping, starting at tspaz.com. And I will tell you, though I think it solves a specific problem for me, when I have now been using it for a while and really understanding how this product was developed and why, I think it's a superior way to keep worms. I'm probably going to add a second one. Uh, one of the things I really want to do is have enough surplus worms that I can take worms and put them into my Johnson Sioux light 
compost systems because I know the ants will eventually kill them. But if, if I don't have to buy them, I don't really mind that. Like everything that lives must eventually fall and die. Right. And be, and then live again. So I am okay with that if that's what has to be, but I ain't buying two pounds of worms at a shot to throw them into a couple piles. And then three weeks later, they're all dead. Anyway, guys, if you uh, you want to know more about that product, just go to the survivalpodcast.com and scroll down. Consider becoming a member of the MSB today as well. Consider boosting us and sending us booster rams or streaming to us on fountain.fm. Um, that really is a great way to do things as well. You're actually participating in the parallel economy. You, I am going to do a show tomorrow on Bitcoin. We're going to kind of do a just jack, talk from the hip, what's going on, basic questions, some forward-looking stuff some talks about the coming cycle, some stupidity that's coming. We have the, the helmet and crayon crowd is showing up in the Bitcoin community now because we have had absolutely had the bottom hit for this cycle. And that's when the lunatics come out and start trying to get attention. Um, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. If you tuned in today and you're like, ah, screw that Bitcoin stuff, you're leaving a keystone out. If what I'm saying makes sense to you, tune in tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow because this is a key component to that parallel economy everybody talks about, but nobody sorted out. We're in the parallel economy already. We already have it. Every time I do a post on Noster and somebody's like, that was pretty badass. Here's a thousand sats, Jack. That's the parallel economy working. It's completely outside their system. It is uncensorable content. It is uncensorable money. What else do you need? Product and value together in an uncensorable format. If you if you get what I'm saying here today and you don't get that, it's hard in your head. So you're choosing not to look into it. You're choosing not to accept it. And if you just can't understand how they won't shut it down, then you don't know how it works. So tune in for that tomorrow. And if you want to make sure you get notices of my live streams and everything, follow me on uh, – get involved in our, our Telegram group. That will be the way to make sure that it, you see it every day or get on our daily mail. That's kind of after things are published, but uh, you won't miss anything either. You'll get – like when I talk about product of the day or whatever, you get that email every day, and there will be a link in there so you don't miss it. And check the links in the video description below if you're on the video or come take a look at the audio notes. I source every claim I make or I wouldn't make it with that's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the survival podcast they keep bringing you down are they gonna bail you out or just run you around they said you should have a house the American way a dollar down a dollar a month